some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it yeah I went with nothing nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We want to welcome everybody wherever they are watching from, whether it be on clips of YouTube or at the archives at hotm.tv or uh, live uh, here in the studio audience or out there in TV land. We just welcome you. Glad you're here. Every Sunday, Lord willing, from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon, we hold a verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study at the University of Utah. We invite any and all to attend. Check it out at our new Calvary Campus website at www.calvarycampus.com where you can get directions, things like that. As you're driving in for that uh, Bible study from 1 to 2 p.m. every Sunday, AM820 replays uh, Heart of the Matter on its station for your listening enjoyment. AM820 is a wonderful Christian radio station, a source of very good, reliable information. Remember... Tuesday, May 3rd, we are going to embark on a very long, exhaustive study of the Book of Mormon. We're going to analyze it. This is a a Book of Mormon that they used to print when I was a kid. The thing that makes this Book of Mormon unique, because it looks like a commercial for the uh, product, uh, is that inside this Book of Mormon, there's all kinds of pictures, and they make it look like these, uh, these, these are artifacts of uh, ancient America that validate the Book of Mormon. So we'll be going through and looking at things like this. Uh, it's just another marketing tool of the LDS Church. But uh, they used to do that in their books of Mor- Book of Mormons, Books of Mormon, but they don't do that anymore because there is no archaeological evidence. But when I was a kid, they used to trick us, and I believed it. So anyway, we'll be talking about the Book of Mormon uh, Starting May 3rd, and we are going to do an exhaustive analysis of that book. Okay, going to be speaking, teaching at the Refuge Church in Ogden, Saturday, May 7th, starting at 7 p.m. The address is on your screen, I hope. That's Christian Heritage High School. That's where they meet, 5101 South, 1050 West in Riverdale. You can also go to www.refugeutah.org. And it's a great opportunity for people who are examining their faith, so come on out and speak in a faith. How about Shield of Faith? What is it? 
We'll see the graphic. Shield of Faith is a website for police officers working here in Utah, which is hosted by Christian police officers working here in Utah. And they're there to offer spiritual guidance and share insights on the job about God or religion or working in a primarily LDS culture and what it means. Uh, cops know cops. They have their own codes and culture, and this is a tremendous Christian resource, uh, research, resource for all of those uh, out there in that field dealing with some very sad uh, events in this fallen world. So check it out, www.sofut.net. Okay, grab a paper and pencil, if you would. Um, we're going to show you a list of people who live in your area and take a look at the names and the areas in which they live. All of them have come out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they have all volunteered to help answer questions or help disciple you if you're looking for questions about uh, Mormonism and they live in your area. So let's take a look at these names. Here we go. I'd read them to you, but... So, uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, those people are all there just waiting. If you live in their area to talk to you about coming out of the church, the Bible versus Mormonism, etc. But, you know, uh, it's just a, it's, a, it's a half of a billionth of a drop in the bucket of the power of that the Mormon church is putting out there. We were just before in a pre-show uh, pre meeting looking at the apps that you can get. And you can go and you can look at free apps up for your phone and the fourth or fifth one down LDS church and they call it the gospel gospel something app and they call it the gospel and you know it's just right there in your face it gets kind of disheartening when you see that kind of thing that you're battling I mean we've got 20 names up there from people and they're all over the world but you've got this powerhouse just pushing this stuff out there so uh, pray to God that he keeps working on people's hearts to know the truth how about a moment from the Word. Tonight we come to a beautiful story in Matthew 14. We're just working our way through Matthew and touching on things that kind of conflict with the LDS. And while the 12 were out on the Sea of Galilee one night, the water and the wind, it got stormy and the waves got big and they looked out over the waves and there's Jesus just walking around out there and uh, seeing him, the, uh, the apostles got frightened. And in Matthew 14, beginning at verse 27, Jesus says to them, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. So they're out there on the, on the storm, and what a picture it is. We're on the stormy seas of life and living in this house of pain, as it were, and there's imminent destruction before us, and it's our God and King walking over these waves that can destroy us, smiling. Be of good cheer, he says to them. It is I. Don't be afraid, he tells them. And uh, is that where you look when times get tough in your life? Is that your focus and your trust and your loyalty? Is it on him and him alone out there who has overcome the waves? 
or is it something else? Mormons are taught to follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. Don't go astray, yay. And they are told to look to the church for their source of strength. In July of 2005, LDS 70 Elder Robert Oaks said, as reported in the LDS magazine, The Ensign, quote, let us have unquestioning faith in all of the doctrines and truths of the restored gospel. Unquestioning faith in the doctrines and truths of the restored gospel. This is really interesting, folks, because the Bible it tells us what the gospel is. This is founded in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what it says the gospel is. It says the gospel is that Jesus came to this earth, he died, and he was resurrected. That is the gospel. The LDS call the restored gospel a whole lot more. They call it the Book of Mormon. They call it prophets living today. They call it this. None of that is the gospel. The good news is the gospel. That's all gospel means. Jesus was born into this earth. He died for our sins and he was resurrected. That is the gospel. L. Alden Porter, another LDS 70, as reported in the April 2002 instance, said as, quote, as we look to the prophets for guidance, we can be confident that they will not lead us astray. Look to men who call themselves prophets. Uh, a Christian would never say they look to men or to institutions, uh, but to Jesus Christ alone, just as those apostles looked to him out there on that water. With the story of Jesus out on the water, we learn something else. In an act of sheer faith, Peter, looking out on the storm-tossed sea, says, verse 28 and 29, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. All things are possible when you look to Christ and Christ alone. Uh, so much so that Peter here walked on the water. He placed his faith and trust on our king. He set his eyes on that only sure rock that had overcome that storm tossed sea. And the miracles just blossomed right un underneath his feet. It was a total act of faith, not one of obedience, uh, not one of works, not one of membership, not one of following the prophet, not one of looking to the church, but faith in Christ and Christ alone. But but, verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the waves around him and he took his eyes off the focus and then saw the danger and he began to sink. And then he cried, Mormon church, save me. Then he cried, Bishop, save me. Then he cried, prophet, save me. No. He cried, Lord, save me. That is why Christians have Christ right there. That's who they go to. They don't go, pastor, save me. If they do, they're crazy. They don't say, neighbor, save me. They're on their knees making war on the floor and saying, Lord, save me, like Peter, sinking in the waves. Do you believe it? Verse 31 and 32, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. 
Friends, uh, Mormon prophet El, uh, Ezra Taft Benson, speaking of Mormonism's prophet and first presidency, said, quote, follow them and be blessed, reject them and suffer. I want to join my voice with every Jesus-loving Christian out there who quotes Jesus and says, in Jesus is life, and his life is the light of men. How about a few emails? First from Terry. He says, hi, Sean. Watched your interview with Mormon, a friend. I'm glad to know that this was possible. I left Mormonism 30 years ago. One of the things I thought of when you talked about trusting in Jesus and not ourselves was as a former LDS person, I had a lot of pride. I thought I was ahead of everyone because of the pre-existence and that I was special because I was on the winning side of heaven. I think that that's a stumbling stone for many Latter-day Saints. Pride keeps us from accepting that we are sinners. And Jesus waits for those who can give up on everything to follow him. My prayer is that they will come to him with a broken heart. You know, Terry, uh, it really makes a lot of sense here uh, relative to the pre-existence and the LDS heart. They, they believe that they have done something of merit as spirits in this world before this one. They come here and they gain the merit that they have on this earth as a result of their good lives before. So a white, waspy, Anglo-Saxon American living in opulence in America was far more valiant in the pre-existence than a black man living in Africa and not having anything. Oddly, it's funny that the wealth of the world and, and things like that are always uh, counterintuitive in the Bible. It's the poor and the brokenhearted who have God's heart and the wealthy, Jesus said, are gonna have, time, have a hard time getting into heaven. Yet the LDS flip it and say, if you're blessed with all these earthly things, you were valiant. So even in that, they twist, twist it up. But you know what? The pre-existence is a major lie because every single Latter-day Saint says, and they sing, I am a child of God. And he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear, which is not always true. But go to John 1, 12 and 13. We show this verse at the end of every show. We'll show it to you now. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood. It's not because of your bloodline, nor of the will of the flesh, not because you desired it, nor of the will of man, not of religion, but of God. That's how you are born again, my friends. That is how you become a child of God. You, it says, as many as receive him become the, uh, the sons and daughters of God. Not before. Another lie of the LDS church. Nobody is born a child of God uh, on this earth except one. And that was Jesus. Born from above, we are from beneath. And it's only believing on him that you become a child of God. Another email from Emily. She's a Christian and a student of anthropology uh, at the University of Utah. And the other day in one of my classes, we were talking about marriage and a Mormon student uh, per, uh, parenthetical reference, I could tell he was Mormon by the way he dressed, you know, like a bank teller, she says, was talking about how the Christian view is that sex was introduced into the world because of Adam's sin in the garden. So a Mormon raises his hand in the anthropology class and he says, 
The Christians believe sex was introduced into the world because of Adam's sin in the garden. And she goes on to say that everyone just nodded like they knew what he was talking about. And I, being the only Christian in the group, said, hey, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I've never heard of this interpretation of the fall of man. Everyone agreed with the Mormon kid and treated me like I was dumb for not knowing this. When I watched your archive show on Adam and Eve, it finally made sense where this kid was getting this nonsense. I am deeply offended by the way this Mormon student presented a Mormon interpretation of the fall as being Christian, uh, and the class, including my Jewish professor, all accepted it as a Christian belief. The LDS are apparently succeeding in passing off their doctrines as Christian to people who don't know any better. So the problem is this. Christians don't believe that Adam and Eve learned about sex because of the fall. That's a Mormon belief. Mormons say God gave Adam and Eve a commandment to go and multiply and replenish the earth. But they were like, okay, but we don't know how to do that. So we'll just sit here. And Christians say that God said, Adam, Eve, multiply and replenish the earth. And Adam and Eve had intelligence. You know, Adam named all the animals you know, based off their attributes. Adam was a smart guy. He's made in God's image. He communicated with God. And Adam and Eve knew how to go and procreate. And they could have gone and procreated just like the animals were, gonna pro were procreating in the garden. And they could have gone and done that and had children and lived in this Edenic state. But Adam and Eve were beguiled and tricked. Adam was, uh, uh, he purposely fell and he, he, he followed Satan instead of God. And so the whole thing fell into sin. But it was not because of the fall that Christians uh, believe Adam learned about sex. The LDS are the ones who say that. She then recounts a story. She says, when my husband and I were newly engaged nearly a year and a half ago, we found ourselves seated on a plane by four female LDS missionaries straight out of the MTC. At one point, one of the girls looked at me dead in the eyes and said, quote, don't you want to be married to this man for all eternity? Do you really want to lose him when you die? And I thought, low blow, Miss Missionary. Are you really trying to exploit the love I have for my husband, my then fiance, in order to get me to join the church? She ends her email with this. I love my husband, but Jesus is my Lord. He is my savior. He is my beloved groom. And to be one with him, well, that's the end all be all, isn't it? To be in the presence of my God for all eternity is heaven. I just don't think Mormons love him that way. They don't worship him. Jesus is just their brother. And so I can see why an eternity with your husband trumps an eternity with your big brother. In the absence of love, adoration, and all-out worship of Jesus our King, being with their families in heaven seems to be the next best thing. Excellent email, Emily. Really appreciate it. They've been sold a bill of romantic goods that Joseph Smith, an ultimate romantic, created. And now they look at their marriages and families ahead of the cross. Our ability to stay public is directly tied to your support of the ministry. You hope you will prayerfully consider the following.
On last week's program, I, uh, where I was interviewed by John Delenn, my thoughts and opinions of LDS showman and BYU professor Bob Millett were shared. I stated that, in my opinion, Millett is duplicitous. To me, he feigns being a Mormon who is almost a Christian in his faith when he's out in public and speaking at Christian churches, uh, when in reality his private conversations are not only wholly Mormon, but actually they are anti-evangelical Christian in many ways. The PR arm of Mormonism has ambitions to appear Christian uh, at, all, at every cost, but to never give up any of their uh, strange non-Christian teachings. Well, after the show, I was given a copy of the following clip of Brother Bob Millett. It is available to the public online. Watch it and form your own opinion of this man's humility and heart. Whenever a person asks me an antagonistic question, I never answer that question, but rather I answer the question they should have asked. That's why I, I group this under answer the right question. For example, and this will lead into the next principle in just a second. For example, if a person out of the blue that I don't know from Adam walks up to me and says, so you're a Latter-day Saint. Uh-huh. Tell me, uh, you folks believe that man can become like God, huh? See how do I respond? I mean, this is a total stranger. I don't know what he knows about the church. It may not be the smartest thing in the world to say, Yeah, yeah, let me, let me quote the Lorenzo Snow couplet for you, and then I'm going to get the teachings of the prophet, and I'm going to read to you the King Follett Discourse. That may not be our best approach. It might be a much wiser approach to say, well, that's an interesting question. It is asked frequently. But, you know, let me, let me begin this way. In the spring of 1820, there was a young man named Joseph Smith, Jr., who was concerned about the subject of religion and, and wanted to know which church to join. Dot, 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 dot. What did I just do? I just answered the question he should have asked. Now, what's the question he should have asked? How do I know that what you have to say is true? Or, what should I know to investigate your message properly? How shall we begin our study of Mormonism? That would have been the right question, you see. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question they should have asked. Now, let me say it another way. The, the world may not know this, but the issue isn't Adam God. The issue isn't Mountain Meadows Massacre. The issue isn't plural marriage. The issue facing the religious world today is, was Joseph Smith called of God? That's the issue? I thought the issue was Jesus. You know, the issue is, is Jesus Christ. But the issue facing the world today is was Joseph Smith? I mean, give me a break. You know, he, they, they, it is such a con game that if someone walks up to any Christian and says, do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Well, yes, I do. 
Do you believe that Jesus was God? Yes, I do. There's no having to couch it in all this theatrics and all this, uh, let me have you answer the question as long as it's the question I want you to answer. Um, There's none of that. It's simply you you answer the question that you're asked. See, with Christians, there's no hiding. I believe I'm saved. Yes, I do. By what? By the blood of Christ. You believe Jesus was the Savior? Yes, I do. Really? That he died on a cross? Yes. That he performed miracles? Yes, I do. Would you like me to tell you more? Yes. But you go up to a Mormon and you say, hey, do you really believe that there was golden plates? Well, let me go back for you. I I don't know how you guys stomach this. I don't know how you put up with it. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we, uh, we love you and come to you and we need you at all times that we can share the truth of the truth and the gospel with people and that our viewing audience are, is searching for the gospel and the truth. So let us be able to share it, Lord. Help us with the programming tonight and the things that we're going to be doing. And uh, uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Tonight's kind of a potpourri program as we're going to be catching up on things that have sort of piled up around us for the past few weeks. Uh, first, we want to give everybody around the country an opportunity, around the country and world, who support Aletheia Ministries, a chance to view uh, our first cinematic production, and we call it Girl. So while they're getting that ready and the operators are opening up the phone lines and clearing your calls at 801-973-8820-973-TV20. We will watch that, but before we go to that, I just want to share one thing with you. I, I, I was looking at my old albums and pulled this one out. This, this album here is uh, the Osmond's Crazy Horses album. came out in 1972. And on the back of that, they shot this thing, and there's all the Osmond brothers there, and I believe that is on the L.A. Temple grounds. I believe that's the L.A. Temple building right there, and these are the flower beds, and they were all in there, and I believe that's where they took it. But the really interesting thing was that the sleeve cover for, in fact, I'm going to turn this to you, Natalie. Can you pick this up? The sleeve cover for this, uh, for this album, there's all the Osmond's albums on the back. It says Kolob. The first creation. And right there, that's a reference to the pearl of great price. And the Mormons have a teaching that God's first creation was the planet Kolob. And that's, that's a little, little kind of graphic for you to understand how God was progressing. He, maybe he created Kolob first, and then he created Saturn, and then Mars, and then this and that. And then finally he created the earth when he got everything down right. Because you were progressing as God, you got to understand. So even in the Osmonds albums back in 1972, I'm sitting there believing I could someday be Donnie. And I open it up, and there's a reference to Kolob and the pearl of great price. Their marketing tools never end. With that, let's uh, take a look at Girl. We'll come back and take your calls. Dear God, Mother says you only answer prayers from obedient and chaste girls. Girls who don't go out past dark. If that's the case, I'm screwed. I know I'm not like Mary Fisher, who goes to church every Sunday and reads the Bible at lunch break and assists the elderly by night. 
I may be the worst person you've ever met in your life. I cursed like a sailor and I once drank so much Merlot that I about puked in my grandmother's china cabinet. But God, I really need a favor. And I know I'm the last person on earth to deserve help from on high. But I'm desperate and you're my last resort. So here's my offer. I'll confess to you every sin I've committed, at least in the past week. And you in turn will make sure that what I think I might find out in five minutes, I won't. I think I just heard you say deal. figured I would remind you of who I am, since we haven't really been on speaking terms since Dad left. I'm that one, the blonde, singing about how great you are because, well, I was forced to. I think that's the last time I did something that wasn't for myself. My name is Cinderella. My friends call me Cindy. I was born May 5th, 1993. I like art, parties, and Joe Strummer. I hate religion, animals, and my mother. And when I'm not a million different people, I don't know who I am. One thing's for sure though, I want to be wanted. I want that, and that, and I want this, and I want that. And I wanted it with him. Him. Such a small word for something so vast and unfaithful. He is the reason I'm bargaining with you the creator of the moon and the stars and Debbie Harry. If only his shoes hadn't have seduced me.
I don't really know how to describe it. This thing he made me feel. Lightning, maybe? Or some other force of nature that's fully capable of tearing a young girl's heart out? He looked like Brando and spoke like Shakespeare. I want you to love me, revolutionary. Repent, Heavenly Father, for the cigarette, well, the two, the five cigarettes I smoked that day. But if it helps, I couldn't breathe for a week, an ailment well worth contracting. Good heavens, the boy was spectacular. I started seeing in colors I didn't even know existed. He took my heart as if for ransom. And I really didn't want it back. I came home that day and was mystified. I felt free and pretty and dangerous, and I made myself up for no reason at all. And one afternoon, I felt I'd become a woman, 
It was intoxicating. always talking about. This is happiness. So I'm sure you can guess what happened next. O oh Lord that art in heaven, save my wretched soul. The dude for which I once stupidly pined has claimed my virtue as his own. Sex is my consummate dichotomy. I love the concept to pieces, but the reality of it just makes me want to kill myself. as fabulous as I had expected. My hair felt all tangled, and brief moments of mortification kept flashing through my mind. I must have been hoping for something different, something kinder. You know how in movies, when the protagonist does it for the first time and the very next scene is her in some fantastical state of euphoria, lying on a bed of flowers or something? My next scene wasn't that way at all. My next scene was depression and a sore lower body. Everything gloomy and cold. My next scene was death. I don't know what all this says about you and me, but I'd like to see if we want to love each other, we gotta do it right. It's like the dynamite. myself to sleep that night 
I still don't know why. And I want you to love me. All I was, I left under those bleachers. The next day, he dumped me for this foreign exchange student whose entire English vocabulary consisted of the words, yes, and you're welcome. I really thought he was perfect, you know? I thought he was the one. I thought he loved me back. I thought I was smarter than that. Love. We think we know it when we feel it. This fairy tale that's supposed to solve all our problems. My next scene was done. Scene was done. I remember it now, I feel sick, like I'm reliving my most embarrassing moment. I just wish I could take it back. Repair everything our premature bond corrupted. Reclaim all that was lost. Restore the longing I should have for a child. Couldn't we just press rewind, God? Or do you let this happen? I remember her. She wanted to be an astronaut or a writer. She wanted to jump off cliffs. She didn't want to be here on this tile. Her entire feature balancing on a cheap stick from 7-Eleven. You know, I've been dropped by all of them. Every man in my life, they've all left me for something better. Are you going to go too?
started to really laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. graceful. Oh, I know. Okay, John. She grew fins and gills and waved goodbye to me. But all, all I want. to stay I swear that I'll be good Delaney look at him be more into him like a lover should look at him be looking at I swear him that I'll be good at him Delaney your face towards him Delaney you need to be more flirty John was good what the heck I was trying there John put Delaney in a headlock a hard one. <laughs> Closer. Cassidy. But then you look right in the camera. Oh, John doesn't see this. It's embarrassing. Derek just told me somebody was uh, flipping channels and tuned in and saw Delaney on uh, hugging the teddy bear and called the number thinking it was some kind of 900 number service or something. <laughs> we'll reach people for Jesus in any way we can. Listen, girl is the first of three. The next one uh, actually being shot right now in California is boy and it's his perspective of what went down. And then uh, hopefully by September of this year, we will be able to put out God, which is gonna be his perspective of both of them, their part, what his intentions were, etc. So we hope that that can be used in the body to help teens think about these things before they get involved with them. We're gonna go to Teresa and Murray on line one. Teresa, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi. John. Um, yeah, my question was, is it a sin for a born-again Christian to um, get help, financial help, from the Mormon, Mormon church? A sin? Yeah, would it be a sin? Like, um, in my opinion, everything is, belongs to God, not to them. Yeah. But I'm in a really bad financial bind, and... I'm getting to the point of being desperate and going and asking the Mormons for help. Yeah. You know, uh, you're living in a state where the LDS church is uh, heavily involved in its politics, which includes, which would trickle down to its economy. So whatever it is, there is liberty in Christ. If, if you're, the, where it would be a sin, I think, if we're going to call this a sin, would be to go into the bishop and say, you know, I'm really interested in becoming a Mormon or getting active again 
And by the way, I could use some financial help and to keep him believing that, I think that would be uh, deceptive. But if the LDS church is willing to help you uh, without making promises like that, let them help you. The only problem is... Okay, I haven't even gone and asked yet. Yeah, they're going to tell you no, Teresa. If they tell me I have to believe what they believe... They're going to. And I won't. I'll tell you. Then I won't. Then I'll I'll just say forget it and God will provide somehow. I'll tell you right now, Teresa... Uh, you can call back after you go make your appointment with whoever it is, but in all probability, they're going to say, no, you need to be active and you need to be uh, involved in our church and et cetera, et cetera, before we're going to help you out. Somebody, a bishop could say, well, let me give you a 20. You know, somebody out of their own heart could help you, but officially the church isn't going to help you. I'll tell you that. So that's the case is you're basically being blackmailed or into... Help. I mean, absolutely. It's not like it's not like okay, Christian churches. I won't churches go in there and lie. I won't do it. Yeah. Well, go see. Don't deny my faith. Go see it. Go see what they say, and then come back and tell us. Okay, I'll do that. All right. Uh, God bless you, and good uh, good luck there on that. And you too. I appreciate your show. Okay, Watch Teresa. It every Tuesday. We'll pray for you. Things will work out. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. We're going to Alan, a first-time caller in Bountiful, which was a Book of Mormon city. Alan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, I've got a kind of a nasty problem, though. When you live in a community where the police and the mayor seem to protect all their friends and relatives who I'm sure belong to the predominant religion, and you run into this legal brick wall... What do you do when you believe the police are actually violating your civil rights in protecting uh, violators who I believe, I have reason to believe, have relatives in city government? Is that something you've ever encountered in your journey through Mormonism? No, but I didn't grow up here. Oh. Yeah. So. you Yeah, I I was fortunate. I I didn't have to deal with that. And, and, you know, out there in Bountiful, dude, that's that's another true mecca of Mormonism, that whole area. I call it, at first I used to think it was the heart of Mormonism, but now I think it's more like the gallbladder of Mormonism. <laughs> well, you know what, Alan, we did our, uh, our, burning, our annual Burning Heart Festival out there, and uh, we were not received well by the park, by the park people. Uh, the LDS ones were not friendly. So I don't know the solution. I would, I would take the LDS church on. The Bible says we're not supposed to sue a brother. You're not supposed to go to court with someone who's a believer like you. You're supposed to settle it outside of that. But in terms of uh, the LDS Church, they'll take anybody to court. And uh, if someone was violating your your rights on that, man, you might want to pursue it that way. I don't know. I'm really not big on that. But gosh, it seems like if I lived in that community and had to face it, I might be tempted by it. Yeah, it's either that or turn to vigilanteism, which I don't (laughs) believe I'm going to do. Yeah, especially in Bountiful. I think they'll point you out quickly. Well, and I keep running into also the higher up the chain of command I go, the more I realize how deep the stuff below me is, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's almost impossible. It's just a legal brick wall you run into. Yeah. Do you work for the government or in a government job? I, I did in the past. Yeah. I, I actually, as a former health inspector, I had occasion to write notice and orders to the LDS church because properties they owned had garbage on them, and they were the least friendly and the least cooperative group or individual family I ever had to work with. Yeah, I believe it. They blew me off. The business side of it is an ugly underbelly. 
Yeah. Yeah. They justify it by saying, well, friendship is one thing, but business is business. Oh, okay. You know, have you ever heard that? You know, it's yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of like yeah, money's money's something where you you just don't let friendship get involved. It's business is business. That's right. It's just like Tony Soprano. His best friend gets a loan. His best friend dies if he doesn't pay him. Yeah. I mean, business <laughs> is business with them. And, and that's the way it is when they're protecting their friend, their relatives, and their friends. Even though they're breaking the law, and you're the complainant, they just well, we can't do this. You know, it's it's the mayor's stepson, or it's the the police chief's nephew or, you know, whoever happens to be. I don't know how you deal with it, my friend. It's driving me crazy. Yeah. I, I thought you might have some pearls of wisdom. To I'm on the vigilante side, but it never works for me. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't have the, the aggressive nature nor the killer instinct to become the vigilante. Yeah. I don't even hunt animals. I haven't hunted animals since I was a teenager. I gave that up because I just don't believe I have the right to abuse other living sentient beings that way. Well, they're probably very grateful to you for that, for that stance. Yeah, they should be. <laughs> I, like I've told some of my friends, they should, be, they should thank God that I believe in God because if I didn't, they would all be in the morgue. Exactly, exactly. Isn't that interesting? Get down on your knees next time you're smoking your joints and getting drunk and playing your rap crap music. <laughs> exactly. I believe in God, and that's the only reason you idiots are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alan, great call. Thanks so much. God bless. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay, hey, listen, this is the way it should work. This is beautiful, and I know they're not doing this because, but we, the callers, uh, tell the caller, Teresa, to come to Good Shepherd Lutheran and talk to them about help. So I don't know where you live, Teresa, but we have a viewer who works, uh, hopefully Good Shepherd Lutheran knows this is happening, but I think they do because I know those guys. They have a heart for the Lord. Christians, they want to help. You know, they want to help. They'll help you no matter what you are. But uh, So we got an invitation to you, Teresa, if you're watching tonight, to go check them out. Okay, phone lines are full, but keep trying. Got an off-air question. How did the LDS get to the celestial kingdom? On a jet or what? Uh, how they get there is through obedience to the laws and ordinances of the LDS gospel, which is a lot of stuff. Celestial kingdom, uh, to live with God and become a God, a lot of stuff. Listen, Kevin uh, asked this question. He says, I saw a video that gave hard evidence for a place in the Middle East called Nahum, N-A-H-O-M. The video says it's the place described in 1 Nephi 16 where they buried somebody before going east. Okay? Uh, and so let me address this. First of all, there is an inscription found on a stone in Yemen, and, uh, which is in the Saudi Arabia Peninsula. In February of 2001, the LDS Ensign published a three-paragraph quarter-page article on page 79, which said this. A group of Latter-day Saint researchers recently found evidence linking a site to Yemen on the southwest corner of the Arabia Peninsula to, to a name associated with Lehi's journey as recorded in the Book of Mormon. Uh, then the passage from the uh, Book of Mormon is quoted, which says, And it came to pass that Ishmael died and was buried in a place which was called Nahum, N-A-H-O-M. And the article went on to say, quote, Warren Ashton, Lynn Hilton, and Gregory Witt located a stone altar that professional archaeologists dated at least to 700 B.C. 
This altar contains the inscription confirming Nahum was an actual place that existed in the peninsula before the time of Lehi. The Book of Mormon mentions that Ishmael died and this is where he was buried. Included in the article was a picture of the stone with the caption that reads, On this altar is written the word Nahum. N-A-H-O-M. Okay, that's the LDS, how they put it in their little tiny thing at back page 79 of the incident in 2001. Let me tell you about Nahum. There is a stone that was found, but what was found on it was N-H-M, okay? You could spell Nuham, you could spell Nohem, you could spell Nehem, you could spell Nuham, you could spell all kinds of things. Nihu, I mean, it, it could go on and on and on in what could be spelled with N-H-M. It does not, that stone does not say Nahum. The second thing is that experts say, expert archaeologists that are not LDS say, Nahum was a tribe. I mean, NHM was a tribe, not a location. Okay? So here's the deal. When you go about scientific proof for something, you look to see evidence that supports your proof, and if its evidence is not there and it conflicts with your proof, then you change your theory. Crackpots look for things to support wherever they can and they will make stretches to do anything they can to give it credence that it is true. This is what has happened with the NHM that was written on that stone that was found in Yemen. Also in that article, the LDS Church writes, this is the first archaeological finding that supports the Book of Mormon's name place stuff. So... Do you see what we're dealing with on here? So don't let this stuff throw you. You know, don't let it shake your, your process out of the LDS church. It is all spin. All of it is spin. That Book of Mormon I showed at the beginning, it's just spin. It's spin doctrine to keep you guessing. You look at the Bible instead. What do you have for evidence? Profound manuscript evidence, Dead Sea Scroll evidence, archaeological evidence, genetic evidence, linguistic evidence, a people evidence prophetic evidence. Throw the Book of Mormon away. Go to the Bible. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. about everyone.